Welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. Our conversations with safety experts aim to share ideas and insights you can use to help your organization benefit from efforts to improve workers' safety and health. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. It is National Hire a Veteran Day, and we wanted to take this opportunity to talk about the value that military veterans can bring to your team, particularly in occupational safety and health. And I can think of no better person to discuss this subject than my guest today. He is a Marine Corps veteran, certified safety professional, director at large at ASSP, senior consultant at Safe Start, and founder and principal at Total Safety Compliance. Uh, he is Tim Page Bodorf. Uh, Tim, it's so great to be talking to you today. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited about this topic, and I think that uh, it's good information that we can get out there. So I'm, I'm very honored to be here. Absolutely. Uh, uh, great to be talking to you. And uh, yeah, we're talking about military veterans in the safety profession, uh, yourself among them, as, as I mentioned. So I thought we could kick things off by talking about your experience in the Marine Corps, you know, the, the things you learned, the skills you acquired, and how that experience helped you prepare for your work in the safety profession. That's a great question and a great setup. I will say right off the bat, um, there is a definite difference between hard skills and soft skills. So hard skills like folding your rack, or in other words, making your bed. Um, that, that's incredible stuff to learn, but it also, underneath it all, it develops some soft skills. And so if you get up and you make your bed in the morning, there's a, there's a rear admiral that actually does this talk and um, does a great job at saying there's a reason why you make your bed. Anyway, so I could go down the rabbit hole of talking about the hard skill transitioning into a soft skill, but ultimately there's a lot of things that I learned on the hard skill side. Technically, um, I learned how to fight fires. I learned how to risk manage. I learned how to do a lot of things in the emergency uh, response realm, which is literally where I got my start in the safety business, which got me a job literally after, after uh, leaving the Marine Corps. And so those hard skills, um, hard to replace. I did learn respect for my, for my superiors. I learned follow then lead. So you got to learn to follow, then be able to lead later. Um, I did learn a lot about the leadership characteristics that the Marine Corps instills. Um, and then I also learned a, a lot about discipline. So technically I learned a lot about the skills in the world of safety. Um, I also learned that when you're in combat, there's no such thing as safety. <laughs> and I, I, ironically, I, I took some of those things that I've learned and I was able to transition out of the military um, and I got hired because of the skills that I had gained in the Marine Corps. And luckily, those skills have stuck with me since. And it's been 31 years since I've been in and I still I still carry forward. You know, when I see an officer um, coming to the PDC or if I get to visit an officer that's still in the Navy or in the military, it doesn't matter what branch, I still want to salute them and I still want to say thank you. And I still, I still carry that with me. So there's things that uh, have left. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's like getting up at 530. I don't do that anymore. As a matter of fact, it was zero 530 when we used to wake up. And now it's like I, it's 530 too early. That's what that means to me. But some of those skills like that, th those have gone. <laughs> but I'm still able to maintain the skills uh, that I think are important to my job, important to my network, important to what I do at ASSP. I still, I still carry those with me. 
Sure. I wonder uh, if we could talk a little more. You, were, you talked about your work on an emergency response team. I wonder if we could maybe talk about that a little more, you know, and, and some of the skills you acquired there. I mean, I imagine in the military, emergency response could include, you know, a wide variety of, of different things you have to be prepared for. So how did your, your, your work in that, you know, help you prepare to, you know, address the, you know, different hazards and risks that somebody might face in the safety profession? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I tell you what, the plenary session that we had just the other day at PDC was great. Um, but in terms of emergency response, I'm going to give a shout out to Lieutenant Eddie Montoya. He he was the he was a certified industrial hygienist, but he was also a Navy officer for First Force Service Support Group. And he had asked me right out front, "Do you want do you want to go to this thing called Hazwopper?" <laughs> I was like. Uh, what is that? I, I'm, I was naive a little bit and I actually had to sit down and figure out what it all meant. And I looked at it and there was two big paragraphs in there, E and Q, um, which really was all about training. And Lieutenant Montoya had asked if I would do some training before, and he sent me off to a train the trainer program. And I really took a liking to the training. So I, I kind of immersed myself into the emergency response aspect of the has whopper standard. Uh, for those of you that are thinking maybe it's a burger at this restaurant, but it's not. It's actually a, a standard in the OSHA regulations. This stands for hazardous waste operations and emergency response. And I took a liking to paragraph E and paragraph Q, mostly about training. Uh, but paragraph Q is on the emergency response side. And so I, I kind of gravitated towards that as opposed to has, uh, has waste operators. And I ended up having to come back from that class and start training. I started training a bunch of people on the emergency response end. And I'll tell you what, they sent me to another week-long class for nuclear, biological, and chemical response. And then I had to train people on how to don their chemical suits if there was ever like chemical biological warfare. Um, I started getting involved with that. Even though I was kind of superficially trained to be an engineer, um, I never really got to do any of that work, actually. I, I I moved over into temporary additional duties as a firefighter and emergency responder, which was helpful because my job at Motorola would have never happened if I didn't have those, those training skills. And quite literally, I, I moved right into training right away when I got hired at Motorola. So there was a, there's kind of a big transition there, but um, not to take away anything from the podcast, but I would just say the emergency response aspect taught me a lot. And one of the biggest things that I talk about in all of my sessions is attending to the Kuwaiti oil fires in, in early and late 1991. I know that seems like a long time ago from a history perspective, but I, I learned a lot about emergency response because we were traveling with C4 plastic explosives and we would go next to these oil rigs that were on fire. And my first exposure to really good sound safety principles came from escorting those contractors who came out of Texas, Canada and France. And literally, they would spend hours on engagements in terms of how they were going to have a rule of engagement for safety. And they wanted to make sure they took all those steps correctly. So pair it up with the training that I got from Lieutenant Montoya, pair it up with the firefighting in, in Kuwait. I learned a lot about safety. And for some reason, I just can't explain it. I, I, that's what I wanted to do. Now, it would have been easy to get a job as a firefighter leaving the military. I mean, I got a you know, couple of offers to go to academy here in Phoenix. But I say... I wanted to be more on the prevention side than on the emergency response side, even though, you know, I was the captain of the fire brigade and captain of the emergency response team at Motorola. I really wanted to spend more time on the proactive side. So I learned a lot and I, I will give mad respect to anybody that does emergency response. But I think you still would agree 
we don't want these emergencies to occur, but if they do occur, we're prepared, we're ready to go. Talking about that that transition into the safety profession from the military, let, talk about that a little more. Was it really, as you you know, taking a look at Hazwamper and kind of getting an idea of what you wanted to do after you left the service? Talk to me, you know, about you know when you decided you wanted to enter the safety profession out of the Marine Corps. You know what what that transition was like. <laughs> Thank you for that. I I have to tell you the transition was was rather difficult because um, Sheila, my wife, she was pregnant. And at the time we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. Should I reenlist? Should I stay? Should we stay in San Diego? Um, should we take these job offers that we're getting back in Phoenix? Cause I, you know, I recruited out of Phoenix. And so I had a lot of mental preparation on what to do. And so there was a lot of unease on, and on the transitioning side. And so the unease really was literally about, was I going to get a good job? Am I moving into a career or do I just get a job? Um, the difference is, is that just getting a job means I'm trying to make ends meet, but getting a career was something different. And, you know, I did drive out to Motorola. I did get a job interview and it was with the EHS department. Now, I'll be frank. I didn't even know that there were EHS departments when I left the military uh, as a matter of fact, I knew there was safety because Lieutenant Eddie Montoya was a certified industrial hygienist, and he had to explain to me what that meant. Even still separating from the Marine Corps, I still couldn't put it all together. And so when I got hired by Motorola, the transition from getting out just gave me job security, number one. Um, they also offered a package where I could actually move into a career in environmental health and safety and so the transition moving out actually became a little easier than I expected, even though we had to move, even though we were getting ready to have a baby, all of that stuff, you know, it just seemed to become more easier as I moved out. Now, if there are, are veterans out there that are listening, having that transition, there are a lot of things that you should take advantage of on base before you leave. There's resume writing. There's all kinds of things that are happening at your base to help you get started even with the American Society of Safety Professionals, we will help you. If you want to jump in, um, we would like to help you with that. Um, I tell you, from a transitioning perspective, folks help me move out of the military and quite literally, um, I'd say figuratively too, the move, transitioning out, moving from San Diego, moving to Phoenix, all of that stuff became easier because I had assistance. And I want to let everybody know that the, the assistance that's out there, I want you to take advantage of it because it will help you out. And I did myself. So if anybody's listening, please take advantage of anything that you can. Um, ASSP is here to provide it. Um, the military is there to provide it. Anybody that's on a base currently, considering this is a profession, you might want to consider getting on base and finding those folks that can help you out. Absolutely. Now, uh, you, you touched on it a, a little bit earlier, but uh, how you, you liked, uh, you know, the preparedness uh, when compared to the emergency response. When you think about the different positions you've had in your career and your work in the safety profession, you know, how did what you learn in the Marine Corps, you know, help you prepare, you know, for addressing, you know, all of the challenges that, you, that you've faced throughout your career in safety and health? You know, I, I give the, the Marine Corps a hard time because when I went to combat, which is literally right after I graduated from school and boot camp, I went to Operation Desert Storm. And I learned real quick that combat is different than garrison. And so the, the difference is, is that when you go to combat, you're in combat. So you have to you have fight battles. You get a combat action ribbon if you've been involved in the skirmish. But when you're in garrison, you're spending a lot of time preparing for combat. So the Army calls it combat readiness. The Marine Corps calls it, you know, 
go do your job. <laughs> they don't have some kind of special uh, thing for it. But I tell you what, the preparedness and getting ready in garrison, it reshaped my mentality because when I graduated boot camp, it went straight over to Desert Storm. That's, that's what I thought Marine Corps life was. You're in the desert, you're fighting battles, and you're cleaning your weapon, and you, know, you, do, you do your job. Um, but when we came back to garrison, there wasn't the, there wasn't get combat. So what you were doing is spending time training and preparing. And, um, and I'll tell you what, I really wanted to be back in combat for, for whatever reason. Um, but I'm thankful though, that when we were in garrison preparing and I'll use the army terminology, combat readiness, I, I literally learned at that moment that there was an opportunity to refine um, we quite often call it in the safety business, organizational learning or systems improvement. I'll tell you, when you opened up those boxes as you're inspecting and you're doing things to get combat ready, sometimes there's something missing or sometimes there's something broken. And if we didn't do that in preparation, we would have gotten to combat and that equipment would have been not good. Same thing happens in emergency response. You know, you spend a lot of time preparing. And if you go through and inspect during the preparation phase, like we did in Garrison and the Marine Corps, you'll eventually find that there are some things that need to be fixed or repaired. And then that's okay, because time-wise, if you don't have an emergency that happens over the next three years or even the past three years, sometimes that equipment sits. And sometimes people have a tendency to open up those boxes and go, oh, what's this? This looks really cool. Maybe I'll want to take this with me for my personal use. Um, and, then, and then you find out that that's missing. So I learned a lot in garrison. I tell you, that's a hard skill, but a soft skill that I learned too was, you know, hurry up and wait was a Marine Corps mentality and combat was hurry up and wait, get the stuff done. But when we were in garrison, it was, I dare say the terminology was stick your hands in your pocket. That's not necessarily what we were doing, but we were kind of like, what do we do next? You know, so you wake up at 530, you run. You get to the you get to the facility. It's seven thirty. Um, you start doing inspections. You start looking at your equipment. Even if you're not fighting fires, you're actually doing work. You're working out. You're trying to get your body ready. So there's there's all kinds of avenues in preparation. And safety pros that are out there, I'm, I'm now I'm now equating this to leading indicators. So if you open up a box, you find something's missing. That's a good thing because it's not when the emergency occurs. So yeah, you could do a lot of time, a lot of stuff in preparing. And quite frankly, if you don't have the emergency occur, that's fine. But guess what? You've done the right thing to get ready. And preparation is a huge thing for me. And I'm using that skill today. Something I, I just thought of, as you mentioned that, I think this could apply to really any field, but thinking about the, the military and the safety profession, you know, having to depend on others and everybody knowing what their roles and responsibilities are. I'm sure you know, there's a lot of crossover there and, you know, learning to depend on others and everybody having to, to work together to achieve the objective that there's a lot of crossover with that between, you know, the both the military and the safety profession. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. I you honestly, I John Drebinger, one of the greatest speakers I've met in a long time. He he always constantly talks about being your brother or sister's keeper. And I I want to use two different uh, two different approaches here. The first one is, is that you can lean on somebody. Um when you're not in uniform and you might be in the barracks or you might be in your base housing or wherever it is that you're in the military, there's going to be some type of support system available. And the support system that you can lean on could be your next door neighbor 
or it could be somebody that's in your platoon or squad or even in your command. Those folks you should be able to lean on. And the reason why you should is because they've got similar training. They all are on the same pages as, as you are. That's kind of neat. Sometimes in industry, though, not everybody's on the same page. And if one person thinks that they have a different philosophy in their approach towards safety and the other person doesn't have the same approach, well, you might not be able to lean on that person. So to make it relate here, one of the things you can do is find ways. And this is something that ASSP does a great job. They literally spend time trying to find ways to get people to network. And when you eventually network or you get out there and meet people, and this is no slam on the pandemic, so don't get me wrong. I know we've had to had our ups and downs. But when you get out there and you actually start to talk to people, that actually moves you towards being on the same page. You might have different opinions. You might have different things going on, but at least you can move towards the same page. And if you're not on the same page and you got two different pieces of paper, they can lay on top of each other. And the way that works is that if you got two different philosophies, at least we both have the same message going forward. We're trying to save lives. We're trying to prevent injuries. And whether you get there from point A to point B or point B to point C, looking at these two different philosophies, you can actually hold hands together. And I'm not saying you need to hold hands with somebody, but I'm just saying you can lean on somebody. And if they don't have the same approach as you and you've actually spent time networking, what you'll end up getting is a combined approach, whether they're two different philosophies or not. And what I mean by hand-holding is when you learn something from somebody new, um, I learned a lot uh, over the last couple of years from, from Pam Malowski. Pam's, you know, talked about safety differently. I think she's even done a podcast with you about it. In, 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 re, in regards to a different approach, um, I may not have the same approach, but that doesn't mean Pam's wrong. And so what I'll end up doing is saying, hey, Pam, I heard you talk about this approach. Can you give me more explanation about that? In the Marine Corps, we call that leaning on somebody. In the real world, when we are protecting people as safety professionals, it doesn't matter if they've got a different approach, but one person might be married and another person might not, or a mother, another person might have a family and another person might not, but they should still be able to lean on each other and support each other. And so it doesn't matter where they're coming from. And that, to me, if you've got a really good sound DEI approach, that means you've had some empathy in your equity. And the empathy means that you can understand where people are coming from. And if they've had a hard time and you're not having a hard time, instead of having them lean on you, reach out to them. And I've learned that in the Marine Corps in this, res in this respect, in this regard. And I found there are people out there that need help. And so if I'm not in a space where I need help, I'm just gonna extend my arm out and say, hey, how can I help you? So there's a two, there's a two approach, two ways of looking at this one, lean on your support system when you need help Two, if you're not in a situation where you necessarily need help and you're moving forward and you're taking charge and taking the hill, then maybe reach out to the folks that you might think need your help. And that's a two ways, a two ways of looking at that. My next question is kind of twofold. Something that you touched on earlier is, you know, for those who are in the Marine Corps or another branch of the military, getting ready for that transition to, to civilian life. What advice would you give those in the military about a career in the safety profession? And I guess the, the second part is, you know, what would you say to employers about why they should hire veterans, be it in the, in the safety profession or otherwise? I appreciate the question. And employers right now, I'm going to tell you, um, there's veterans out there. And I'll just give another shout out. Camille, uh, Camille, um, Camille Oaks, she's got a really good... Um, She's got a really good approach when it comes to talking, and she always used this terminology, be curious. 
And so what I'm going to ask veterans to do before I get to the employers is that at veterans, when you, when you start to separate, just be curious out there. And the curiosity should actually start to fill a void in the different jobs that you never knew that were out there. I, I honestly didn't know this was here. I didn't know safety was a business. I didn't know safety was a job, nor did I know safety was a career. And so veterans more and more, and I see this through some of the classes that I teach, I get veterans or even I actually get at real life people that are in the military. It's some of my OSHA 500 level courses. And when I get them in these courses, they, they really have a tendency to reach out. So I find that the folks that are curious and want to know more about the business have a tendency to get that job quicker, that job request quicker. And that means their resume is ready to go. And they just found something that just enticed them in the safety business. And so that's one Uh, for veterans, just stay curious. And I'll give Camille uh, some serious credit there because I, I, I always thought that I was curious, but I never really put it into those words, stay curious. And so that that's really helped me out and that I could translate that to veterans. On the other hand, for employers, what you're looking for in veterans, I'm going to tell you, veterans are, are a great way to go because the stuff that I just talked about, the stuff that doesn't come in normal development, I'm talking about the respect, follow, then lead, and the descriptions that I gave you from, you know, Marines coming out that both hard and soft skills take on us. You know, if you're an employer, you should already know that that person that's going to put on their resume, Marine Corps, Navy, Army, doesn't matter what branch, and they come to you with the resume, you should already know that that person will probably be two or three steps ahead of any other candidate in regards to those types of skills. All right. Now they're fresh out and they don't have any safety skills. Well, guess what? One of the skills that I didn't mention is they're going to be hungry. And that means they're going to have this appetite, which to close the loop back to what Camille was saying, they're probably going to be curious enough that they're going to want to fulfill that void of hungerness or their, their, the hunger that they're going to have for wanting to do a good job. Because in the Marine Corps, we do a fantastic job. I always use the quote back in the day, we, we do more before people do at nine o'clock uh, in the morning, all day. Or some of the times you'll hear just the, the few and the proud. They're very proud of the work that they do. Um, and I'm going to tell you, um, we learn that attention to detail characteristic. Although I, I don't have a very attention to detail type work ethic, I'm a kind of an over-the-top global thinker when I look down and see things. But those Marines, those, those, those people coming out of the Navy, the Army, and the Air Force, they are really already equipped. So employers, you should already know that they've got some of this stuff under their belts already before you even consider looking at their resume. And then when you pick up their resume, you should already go, hmm, like a CSP does, oh, this person's already going to have some skill. I don't really necessarily have to worry about that type of skill. So First of all, we talked about the, the person separating, um, stay curious. And the second, the, you know, when we got employers looking at people for, for military veterans coming out, you should already know they're, they're already equipped with a lot of stuff. And um, that should give you a kind of a, an edge in the game when you're looking for somebody for your positions. Sure. So, something you mentioned earlier in talking about, you know, those getting ready to separate from the military about the, the resources that are available to them. I'm thinking, you know, for some, for someone in the service who, you know, may not be sure what they want to do after they leave the military, if, you know, there, there are resources they could tap into that uh, before they separate that might kind of help lead them in the right direction to where, where they want to go after they leave the service. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a couple of examples, both from the Marine Corps and Yuma. They attended a class that I did, um, two Marines, 
I'll, I'll just say their name is James and Jason. These two guys are working on the flight line <laughs> doing crash, fire, and rescue, and they came for maintenance. And to think about where they've come from and asking, they both reached out to me separately without me telling them. And I said to both of them at the same time, because I included them both in the same email, I said, you guys, do you know each other? <laughs> they didn't know each other. And they both worked at the same base. They both worked on the same area and they both worked in the same department and they both attended the same class and they didn't know each other. And I said, as small as the world is, the way you guys are coming out of the military, both of them are retiring. I mean, I didn't get a chance to retire in the Marine Corps because I got that immediate job offer. And so the difference is that both of them are retiring. So they're going to have benefits coming out. They're also going to have, you know, a retirement pay plan. So they can, they can lean on that when they get out. Um, and, and if you're actually going to retire from the military, which I am very grateful for you for doing that, understand that you're going to have some, you're going to have some, Oh, I don't know. You're, you're going to get some stuff that uh, the normal folks that get out for four or six years are going to have. They, they won't get any of that. And so I don't get those benefits. And I know if you retire, you get those benefits. Take advantage of those benefits, please. And I'm quite frankly astonished that these two didn't know each other. So if you stay curious, you might want to reach out to people that are in your area because they might be separating at the same time. That means like we want to go all the way back to the beginning of this. We've got We've got to network. So for those of you that are getting out, please, there might be similar folks that are doing the same. If you go into the re retirement office and you get your retirement classes or your separation classes, find out who's in there. Maybe you come from the same area. We used to say in the Marine Corps, we've come from, we, we, we spilt blood in the same mud. Um, that to me, it's important to know before you, before you start separating, but also take advantage of your military benefits. You're going to have the VA GI Bill, um, that's going to be available to you. I know that the GI Bill's got different, you know, avenues of approach. There are schools right now that are looking for veterans. Central Washington University is a school. Um, they're looking for for veterans. Um, the veterans get MAD benefits there. The V, uh, the VA, the GI Bill. Um, if you have it, they they will give you extra credit, and they'll actually take time from your Marine Corps time and actually matriculate that into credit. Um, there's other schools that are out there that's doing the same exact thing. UCSD, uh, Columbia Southern University. There's other schools that are out there that uh, you should reach out to. There's a military practice specialty in ASSP. So there's, there's, <laughs> I'm a proud member of that group. Um, shout out to Marge McDonald. She had asked if I could help this year because she's the new incoming administrator. But there are all kinds of resources on both sides while you're still in and on this side. So if you're looking to be in the safety business, First, stay curious, learn about it, reach out to, to me or Scott or anybody at ASSP. Well, we would love to walk you down the path of how to get there, but there just know there's tons of resources available to you. A absolutely. Uh, any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with, you know, whether it's uh, the, the uh, active service military, military veterans or, or employers that might be listening? Yeah, going all the way back to the beginning, I just want to say shout out to all of you. Um, even though it's easy for us veterans to say it's sometimes you don't get to hear it a lot, but when you do hear it, it, you know, it gives you that honor and feeling that you've spent some time and the brotherhood and the sisterhood that we have together. Um, a lot of folks that support us, um, they always say, thank you for your service. And so with that note, I would like, I would also like to say thank you for your service um, for those of you that are currently active. And for those of you that are veterans like myself, 
I definitely appreciate it. I know society appreciates it. Um, we're going to, just so you know, uh, we're going to be creating sort of a task force that our just past president, recent past president, Brad Giles started before COVID. I want to pick up the mantle where Brad left off and start off again to get that moving. If you need it, my, my information, we'll put that there in the show notes and we'd love for you to reach out. We'd love for you to connect and we would let you know that membership is a, is a pretty big deal. Membership at ASSP is a, is a great way. And it provides that networking that we were talking about. It provides that support system that we've talked about. It provides an avenue for you if you want to get into this profession and we will connect you with anybody that you're looking for promise as long as it's regarding safety and health we will get you connected but on that behalf i scott thank you so much for having me this has been fun well thank you tim and to echo what you said i want to thank you for your service and all those out there who may be active duty or veterans i want to thank you for your service and i hope our conversation today will uh, help you as uh, as you move forward so uh, thank you again tim perfect thank you we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the case for safety podcast be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org and follow us on Twitter at ASSP Safety. We'll see you next time.